Come on, we are in our series, The Book of Acts. We've been going chapter by chapter, and we are in Acts 17. If you got a Bible, go to Acts 17. If you're going through a tough time right now, you're passing through. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. Come on. Paul just kept passing through. Whether, whether he faced a shipwreck or a storm, a snake bite, people trying to kill him, he just kept on passing through, just kept on moving. One thing we can learn about the church in the book of Acts is that they never stopped moving forward. No matter what came against them, the church was resilient. And this is an important word for the church in this hour. It is time for a resiliency that says no matter what comes, we're going to keep on worshiping Jesus. We're going to keep showing up. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. And the enemy tries everything he can to stop you and your purpose, whether it's shame or whether it's regret or whether it's fear or COVID or sickness or whatever. He just tries to stop the church. Just stop. Just stop. Just stop showing up. But I love that we, we serve a resilient God. We serve a resurrection power God that lives inside of us. So they kept going. And Paul went into the synagogue and he preached and people got saved. He talked about Jesus raising from the dead and dying on the cross. And, and he persuaded a large number of people to give their hearts to Jesus. Paul was a debater. He was a preacher. And Acts 17 is such a, a great chapter because it's, it's a chapter about debating and, and teaching and really diving into the truths of God's word. In fact, where Paul ends up is he ends up in a place called Athens in Greece. Some of y'all want to end up in Greece on a, on a vacation to the Amalfi Coast. But Paul, when, my wife goes, woo, that's a dream. How many of y'all would go on a mission trip to Greece if we did a mission trip to Israel and Greece and we just kind of went to the places where Jesus walked, where Paul ministered? Come on, we should do that. 2023, let's just put it on the calendar. Daniel, somebody, make it happen in Jesus' name. Um, we'll sign up. Somebody sponsor us. Compassion. All right. But Paul was waiting for them in Athens. We're going to keep going. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, Greece, he became greatly disturbed. Okay, so before I get to what disturbed him, everywhere Paul went, he was trying to convince people that Jesus was worth worshiping, that Jesus was the one true God, that he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. And Paul oftentimes would debate with Jews who uh, had put their faith in Moses and they hadn't really put their faith in Jesus. They thought he was a heretic. They, they didn't think that he really died, that he rose from the dead. They knew he died on the cross. But Paul often would debate with them. This was one of the first really intense debates that happens um, with people who, who weren't really connected with Moses. They didn't really follow the commandments of Moses. These were Greeks. They didn't have the back you know, knowledge of all of that. And in this city, in Athens, they had 30,000 idols, 30,000 gods that they would worship um, across Athens. They were very intellectual. They loved knowledge. They loved philosophy. So Paul is watching all these people worshiping these idols, these gods, these other religions, and he becomes disturbed. He's stressed out about it. He's going, what in the world? These people are missing it. They're missing it. And in verse 17, it says, he began to reason in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. There was a group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers who began to debate with Paul. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. I want to title this message, Defining and Dethroning Idols. 
defining and dethroning idols. If you're taking notes, note takers are history makers, world changers. Come on. If you're taking notes, just title this message, defining and dethroning idols. And you might be here today going, this is not for me. I don't, I'm not an idol worshiper. I don't have an idol in my house set up that I bow down to. But what we're going to find is that idols are all around us. Even today in this very room, there's idols that are right there at your fingertips. There's idols that we will go to right after church. There's idols that we don't even realize have become gods in our life. And so Paul is listening to them. They said, tell us about these foreign gods you're talking about. Who is this person that you're talking about that had a resurrection, this good news about Jesus? Verse 19, they took Paul and they brought him to Mars Hill, Areopagus. And it was a place where he would reason and, and debate and go back and forth with these Greek philosophers. And they said, talk to us about this new teaching. They loved new teaching. They loved any new trendy idea, philosophy. In verse 20, it says, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We like strange ideas. We would like to know what you mean. In verse 21, it says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived in Athens spent their time doing nothing but talking. <laughs> they just did nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. How many of y'all know some people like that? They just do nothing but talk and, and listen to the latest ideas. So Paul, he interrupts their, their opinions and he stands up in the meeting uh, on Mars Hill and he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. We could, we could probably say this today in, in Tulsa, Jerusalem. People of Tulsa, Jerusalem, I can see that in every way you are very religious. And I'm not talking to victory, but I'm just saying, how many of y'all know some religious people? And, and what Paul was saying is religion's not bad, but it's missing the point. God's not interested in, in our outward practices that make us look holy. He's interested in our hearts. He wants a relationship, not a religion. He wants you to know him, not just know about him. He wants you to have him first in your life, not just a part of your life, but Lord of your life. So he says, people of Athens, people of America in 2022, people with an opinion on Twitter, that would be everybody, people with an opinion on Instagram, people with opinions on Facebook, people of TikTok, people who love to share your latest ideas and your trending passions and desires. I can see that you are very religious in every way. For as I walked around, Paul said, so he's connecting with them where they're at. He says, I see, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I've got a couple of pictures of idols from different countries that people uh, worship around the world. And, and if we have those pictures, just throw them up behind me because uh, people will literally bow down. Oh, the, well, that's, yeah, that is, that is one idol right there. Big soccer game, big football game. But this is an actual idol right here um, that people will literally gather around and they will worship. They'll bow down and they will sacrifice to these idols. They'll give everything they have to these idols. And if you don't think idol worship isn't still happening, it is all around us. Yeah, I mean, it does happen at the soccer games. I remember growing up as a kid, my dad preached a message about uh, the false prophets that Elijah had to confront during his day in 1 Kings 18. 
And these false prophets, they worshiped a, an idol they called Baal. How many of y'all remember Baal? And my dad, he was from Magnolia, Arkansas, so he called it Baal. And he was like, these guys, they were worshiping Baal. And he would say, they would go down and they worship Baal, 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 Baal. And he said, some of y'all are worshiping soccer Baal. Some of y'all are worshiping basket Baal. Some of y'all are worshiping foot Baal. Some of y'all are worshiping volley Baal. And you will, you will sacrifice your Sundays to be at your kids' volleyball games and you'll come back to church at Easter. And, you know, I remember just listening to my dad talk about the Baal worship. But he's right. He's right. Because some of us have put Baal before God. And we go, well, Paul, it's my kid. It's everything. You'll see me at Christmas. I'll be back. I'm still here. But I just, you know, I got to sacrifice everything for the volleyball game, everything for the soccer ball game, everything for football, football, boomer sooners. I might lose some people after this match. I like I can already tell it's getting hot right now. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. The title of the sermon is defining and dethroning idols. God's not against you liking sports. He's not against you loving your children and, and showing up to their games. He's not against you having a great job and money. And he's not against you owning a house you love and working somewhere you love. He's just against stuff having you because it'll rob you. It'll rob you. So Paul says, I see that you have lots of gods. And I see that these objects you worship, they, 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 they demand your attention. They demand your focus. They, they scream at you when you're in the movie theater. They shout at you, notification, notification, while you're in church. I see that you have a lot of gods you love. I even found an altar, Paul says. Look at this in verse 23. I found an altar with this inscription here in Athens. It says, to an unknown God. To an unknown God. God. And then Paul says this, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to preach to you about today. Can you just imagine when Paul said that? He called the most intellectual people in the world. Everyone who would, like, Athens was the Mecca for intellect. It was the place that if you were smart, if you were, a, like, if you studied books and you were a scholar and you graduated from Harvard, Yale, Stanford at that time, Oral Roberts University, if you grabbed Victory College, if you graduated from, 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 from these amazing, prestigious schools that were known for education, known for intellect, you would go to Athens. And at Athens, you would debate your ideas and you would share what you studied. And Paul looks at these intellectual people and he goes, you are ignorant. That was a diss. And he wasn't done. Can I finish what Paul said? Don't get mad at me. If, you got, if you're angry already, just email the Bible. Don't, email, don't, don't come at me. I'm your friend, okay? But Paul says this. He says, look, you're ignorant about what you're worshiping. And I'm going to tell you, verse 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, everything in it. How many of y'all have ever been to a national park like Grand Canyon or Mount Zion or Yellowstone, Yosemite, Turkey Mountain, <laughs> the Arkansas River, <laughs> RIP? Uh, <laughs> How many of y'all been to an outdoor place where it was just beautiful? You were like, man, that is gorgeous. The Smoky Mountains, right? And uh, some, of the, some of the most beautiful pieces of nature right here in the Midwest. And, uh, but 
if you've ever been there, you know, like, man, you just, you're mesmerized by the canyons. You're mesmerized by the mountains, by the, the flowers and, and the fields and, and, um, and just all of it. I, recently, I was in Mount Zion National Park and I was on this trail called the Narrows. And it's a cliff on both sides. And there's a river that flows through the, this slot canyon. And we're wrapping through there. And you can just feel the ah. Oh, you can hear it behind you, people behind you going, oh, wow. Oh, this is amazing. They're like describing the experience. They're like, oh, I worship you. You know, they didn't say that, but that's what it felt like. It felt like a worship experience in the mountains. And I heard one person behind me, they go, oh my God, this is amazing. I never want to leave this. People will worship the creation and forget about the creator. People worship mountains and they worship national parks and they worship the stars in the sky, the moon, the sun. We'll worship things made by man, basketball, football, golf. We love our stuff. We love it all. But we've got to come back to who made everything. Paul says this, this God that you say the unknown God, he's the one who made the world. He made the mountains, the stars, the sky, the cosmos, the planets. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed something from us. Did you know God didn't create us because he needs us? That's a really narcissistic way to, to view like God needed me, so he made me. <laughs> no, he didn't. He made you because he loves you. He made you because you were a dream in his heart that he wanted to share what he built with you. He didn't make you because he needs you. Like, well, God really needed my help, so he created me. <laughs> That's how the people in Athens, they, I mean, they had gods like Hercules, Zeus. They had, like, in their minds, they were like, there are certain gods that were created so that we would all be saved by the Herculean God and, and the goddess you know, all these different gods that they worship. And Paul goes, no, no, no. God didn't make humans because he needed them. He made them because he loved them as if we, as if he needed something. He says, God doesn't live in, in, in the Areopagus. God doesn't live in the synagogue. He doesn't live in the temple. He doesn't live in the main auditorium at victory. God is not, he's not confined to the box that you place him in. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything we have comes from him. From one man, he made all the nations of the earth that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times. Did you know God marked out your appointed times? How many of y'all believe in God to get married someday? Well, you seem excited about it. You're like, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Thinking about it. <laughs> How many of you believe in God to have children someday? How many are believing for a lost one to get saved someday? Did you know God has appointed times that he's set that there's going to be a breakthrough? There's going to be a miracle. There's going to be an answer to prayer. God is not aloof. He's not far. He's not disconnected. He's not confused. He's not like, I don't know if that'll ever happen. We'll see. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has an appointed time for you. He has an appointed time for us. He has an appointed time for our, our world. And, 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 and Paul says God has appointed times in history. He has boundaries for lands. God did this in verse 27. God did this. God created mountains and seas and oceans and rivers, and he created stars and planets. And God God did this so that we would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for God and find him. God wants us to search for him. God wants us to seek him out. We're living in a time where everything is, is, is catered towards how can you get it as fast as you want it, whenever you want it, as convenient as you can get it, as comfortable as you can feel so you don't even have to lift a finger. Amazon will not just drop it off at your doorstep. It'll open the door, come and put it on the couch for you so you can just sit there and not do anything. And God says, I want you to seek me. In a time where the whole world just wants to, to get everything to us, God says, I want you to get the energy to look for me the way that you look on Google for everything else. I want you to search for me. I don't want you to just rely on your pastor's relationship with God. I want you to have a personal relationship with God. Paul was saying, you don't have to just wait for a priest or a rabbi to do it all for you. God wants to be known by every person. The real God wants to know the real you, and the real you needs to know the real God. He wants you to search for him. And then he says the most famous scripture in Acts 17, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. Let's say that together. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, my mom said this. She said the definition of an idol that she heard growing up was wherever you find your identity in. Whatever has your happiness Whatever has your identity, wherever you go, that's where I feel the most valuable. I, like my job is my life. My spouse, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever it is. My kids is my life. Basketball is life. <laughs> Not for me, maybe for you. Uh, coffee is life, you know. Instagram, whatever it is. And Paul says, no, 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 no. In him, we live and we move and we have our identity. We have our purpose. We have our value. We have our significance. And Paul says, even as some of your poets here in Greece, I love how Paul just connects with people where they're at. Like he would go somewhere and he wouldn't try to preach a, a message about Moses to people who don't know anything about Moses. He would connect with people. If he was talking to someone at Starbucks, if he was talking to someone at Walmart or Quick Trip or someone who was in the, the sports world, he would say, you know, I see what you guys do here at the Lakers, uh, uh, you know, basketball place. What is it called? The Staples Center? Uh, I see, like if Paul was somewhere, he was going to connect with them where they were at. If he was talking to Tiger Woods, he would talk about golf. If he was talking to, you know, uh, some famous basketball player, he was going to talk to them about their team. And so he says, listen, you're poets. You talk about this. We are his offspring. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, his children, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. He is not an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Everybody say repent. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Okay, so repent doesn't mean to publicly confess your sins in front of everybody and put on this whole like fake false humility thing. Repent is a changing of your internal mind and heart. And repentance eventually is noticed, but it's not at first experienced by everybody else. It's between you and God, where you go, God, I missed it, and I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my heart. I am turning towards you. I want you to be in control of my steps. Lord, I repent. It's a, God, it's a 
personal thing between you and God. Paul says, God wants you to repent. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to invite him into your decisions of life. Stop letting money dictate your next move. Stop letting what your parents say dictate your next move. Stop letting what your kids say dictate. Stop letting what your friends say. Stop letting what CNN says or Fox News. Stop letting COVID determine your next move. Turn towards God. Let him determine the steps and the direction of your life. For he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he, will, he has appointed. Who is that? Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Lord, I pray that you speak to us in these next few minutes. God, let us leave changed, refreshed, revived, reminded that you deserve the throne of our heart. And God, any idol, any God that we've placed there today, expose it and God dethrone it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Carlos. I'll call you right back up. So what is an idol? An idol is something or someone that becomes more important to you than God. Something or someone who becomes more important to us than to God. An idol in the Webster's Dictionary is an icon, a fetish, a, a, a false god, a graven image, a, um, some sort of a god that's used as an object of worship. But let's talk about idols in our own life, defining idols. Listen, anything or anyone that becomes more important than God in your life has become an idol in your heart. So let's, let's talk about what idols have been elevated in your heart. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus exposes one idol in this man's life who loves God, loves the church, but he loves money more than anything. And Jesus says, I dare you to sell what you have and help the poor. And he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? Because money was an idol. God's not against you having money, but he is against money having you. In a time where our world is afraid, financially afraid, like, what am I going to do? What happens if I can't afford this? And eggs are going up and, you know, <laughs> bread is going up and gas is going up and everything's going up. And, 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 and the fear of financial insecurity can drive people to put money on the throne of their heart. I just got I to gotta, I gotta let money decide and determine what's best for me. Or maybe it's your job. Job, 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 God, job, job, God, job, God, job, God, job. Job becomes our God. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. If I don't work, I can't eat. If I can't eat, I can't work. So I got to work. And, and what good is a job if you're dead? Like some people will sacrifice their life for their job, and then they don't have their life, so they don't have their job anymore. And we got to be careful it sounds so simple, but I'm telling you, Paul was saying, listen, some of us have allowed some gods to be elevated in our life, and we don't even know it. We've allowed certain things to be elevated in our life. For others, it's kids, and I love my kids. We got five of them. I love my kids, but my kids are not my idol. They are not my God. And if I let my kids determine everything about our lives, and it's all about, and you might be here going, Paul, don't you talk about kids like that. Kids are everything. But I'm telling you, when kids become an idol in the home of a family, everything, like our moral compass gets lost. We got to come back to what has God called me to do? God says there should be no other God before me. There should be no other God before me. For some, it's sports or it's social media. Right now, the number one addiction in America is the phone. I looked up the top 10 addictions in America. Phone is at the top. A little bit further down the line is nicotine, right? But this is like a nicotine. I mean, this is like heroin. This, I mean, I've never had heroin, but I, I think from what I've heard, 
people who they've said like, dude, this is an addiction, right? It just screams and it constantly wants us to check it. It constantly, how do you know if you have an idol in your life? Here's a good question. Um, what makes you happy? What can you not go without? I've got to have it. I've got to have that. I've got to have him. I've got to have her. got to have them. got to have that. If I don't have that, I'm not happy. It's an idol. What are, you, what, what are you disappointed by all the time? I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. That could be an idol. What are you complaining about all the time? That could be an idol. What drains you? What, what steals your sleep? What robs you of your peace? For some, it's friends. Anything that I am codependent on, anything that I have to have, like I can't function without this friendship. I can't function without this coffee. I can't function without this drug. I can't function without this alcohol. I can't function without my phone. I can't function. Listen, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul was saying it's in him we find our identity. It's not in what and I didn't realize I had some idols in my life. God's always exposing idols in my life. Like just, and I've told him, Lord, you have permission to expose it, reveal it, and dethrone it. And I'm not a perfect pastor, but I am a surrendered pastor. And I want God to keep working in my life. He's not finished with me yet. I shared this with you guys. We got this, you know, this plaque from YouTube. At one point in my life, this would have meant so much more than it does now. And it's not that it doesn't mean something now. It just means something different now. Now it means I'm thankful for the names, the lives that we've touched. But six years ago, I was obsessed with numbers. And I, like ministry became an idol for me. And this happens for pastors, where you get obsessed with reaching and you forget about people and it's numbers, numbers, numbers. And we gotta hit 10,000, we gotta hit 20,000, gotta hit 30,000. And I didn't realize I was becoming, I was going on YouTube and I was checking every day, you know, morning, afternoon, night. How many subscribers do we have? How many views do we have? How many people gave a thumbs up? And then I saw there was a thumbs down button on YouTube. And some people started giving me the thumbs down. And I was like, who are the thumbs down people? They're anonymous. You can't find them. I started Googling, how do I find the thumbs down people? Google wouldn't tell me. I, so I called my friend Salmon. He's like a hacker. I was like, you got to help me hack into finding out who gave the thumbs down. He's like, why do you need to know that? I was like, I just need to know. What are you going to do? I was going to, I'm going to find their address. I'm going to go to their house. And he's like, you're insane. I was like, I'm not going to hurt them. I'm just going to ask them, why did they give me the thumbs down button? Why don't you like me? I had an idol on my heart. The idol was approval addiction. I was obsessed with being liked by people. I couldn't stand not being liked by someone. If somebody didn't like my sermons, I thought they didn't like me. And I took their rejection and I made their rejection an idol in my heart that I've got to be accepted by people. Can I tell you, their thoughts didn't make you, so stop letting their thoughts shape you. Stop letting their thoughts uh, create you into an image that God never created you to be. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. So if I worship the approval of man, I start becoming the image of what man wants me to be instead of who God created me to be. When I worship God, I become who God's made me to be, and I stop living for what man wants me to be, and I start worshiping who God has called me to be, what he's called me to do. So my friend, he never did hack into the computer to find out who did the thumbs down, and Ashley, she was like, stop. She's like, Paul, this is crazy. 
She's like, you are enough in God's eyes. Thankful for a wife who points me back to who I am in Christ. So the day came where I stopped caring about numbers and I just started caring about names. And I just cared about who, who did we reach this week? Who, whose life was impacted by the message of Jesus? So this, this is nice, but this is no longer controlling and dictating my happiness or my self-worth or my identity or depression. I read an article this past week called The Psychological Effects of Celebrity Crushes on Children. And it was, there it is right there. It grieved me reading this article because I noticed, you know, my kids, they love Paw Patrol. That's not a celebrity crush, but like, they, you know, we went to Dude Perfect at the BOK Center, and you just see kids love these, you know, these, these people on YouTube or whoever, these personalities they love on whatever channel you watch it on. But the older we get, we start really like, oh, I love this actor. I love this movie. And, and, and we, we start worshiping things other than God, and it starts affecting our happiness it causes anxiety. It causes a sense of constant fear of missing out, FOMO, right? We become depressed and dependent on, you know, one day meeting this celebrity or whatever it is. And, and God's saying, there's an idol in your heart. You've made your boyfriend an idol. You've made your crush an idol. You've made that drug an idol. You've made that food an idol. And you don't know what an idol is until you give something up and you start feeling the withdrawals. I've had withdrawals before. Anyone ever had withdrawals? And y'all are like, what withdrawals did you have, Paul? It's none of your business. Stop asking. <laughs> you got your own stuff to deal with. But here's the point. When I started feeling those withdrawals, I go, wow, I didn't realize that I had made that substance that I had made, whether it's coffee, whether it's Mountain Dew, whether it's fried chicken, chips and queso, whatever, whatever, that I have to have it to feel happy. I have to feel it to, to be good. I have, that's where I find my worth, my identity. No, in him we live and move and have our being. As long as you want something so much, even more than you want God, it's an idol. So who or what is driving the decisions in your life? Lucifer in the Bible, in Ezekiel, it says that he was one of the top musicians in heaven. He worshiped God. He would lead the worship of the angels. He lived in heaven. Before he was the devil, he was a part of God's angels. And it says, Lucifer, you have fallen because of your pride. Lucifer stopped worshiping. Whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. Whatever you don't turn into worship towards God, you start worshiping your feelings. And if my feelings determine when I go to church, I don't go to church because I feel like it. I don't read my Bible because I feel like it. I read it because I need to read my Bible. I worship because I need to worship God. Because if I don't worship God, I start worshiping other stuff. Worship is going to happen. Worship is a part of how we were wired. It's how we were created. We worship what we love, right? And, and people will worship their lover. They'll worship Romeo, worship Juliet. Juliet worshiped Romeo. People worship mountains. They'll worship their favorite restaurant. They'll talk about their favorite movies, entertainment, pleasure. People worship golf. People worship all kinds of stuff. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can worship that fulfills you, that satisfies you, is Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is the greatest object of your worship. How do I know this? Because everything else leaves us empty. I can't bring my golf clubs to heaven. 
I can't carry my basketball, my football to heaven. I can't bring my TV up to heaven. I can't bring my house to heaven. I can't bring my car to heaven. Do I like a car? Yeah. Am I thankful to live in a house? Yes. But I've got to stop allowing stuff to own me. I've got to put Jesus on the throne of my heart and say, he's the one that matters most. And I'm going to let his word dictate the direction, the steps, the decisions of my life. When Lucifer stopped worshiping God, three things happened. Three things that can happen to you and I. When we misplace who is sitting on the throne of our hearts, three things happen. Number one, when you refuse to worship God, your life goes down. When Lucifer stopped worshiping God, it says he fell from heaven. Behold, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from heaven. It is a fast fall when you replace God off the throne of your heart. It's a fast fall. Pride comes before a fall. When you think, I, I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to do what I want to do, even if it flies in the face of what God is asking me to do. When you refuse to worship God, your life goes down. By the way, worship is more than lip service. Idolatry is not just what you say. It's how you feel. It's, what you, it's the decisions you make. It's what you do. It's where your paycheck goes. It's what you sacrifice for. It's what you'll give up time and energy and create space for. When you stop worshiping God, your life begins to go down. How do you get out from the downward spot? You begin to worship God again. You begin to lift up praise to God. If you're in a valley, if you're in a dry place, if you're at rock bottom, listen, there's only one place to look, and that's up. And if you'll start worshiping God, he'll pull you out of the valley of depression, of suicide. And oftentimes, we treat the fruit in people's lives instead of dealing with the root. So we'll go, man, he's got this, he's got this porn addiction or they got this sex addiction, or they've got this heroin addiction, or they, they're just they're gambling all the time, or man, they're just doing bad stuff. They're constantly just crazy temper tantrums, and we're looking at all the fruit up here. What we really need to do is, what are they idolizing in their life? They're idolizing the approval of people, and it's driving this fruit. They're idolizing their feelings. They've put feelings on the throne of their heart, and so feelings are dictating, as long as I do what I feel like, I'm never going to be doing what God wants me to do. God doesn't say in scripture, follow your feelings. Just follow your feelings. Just do whatever you feel is right. If it's right, if it feels good to you, do it. No, that's not, that's what the Greek Athenians would, would say is, you know, if you feel like it, do it. If you think it's good, do it. But that led them to depression. That led them to self-destruction. That led them to harmful habits that destroyed marriages and families. You want your marriage and your family to be healed, reconciled, restored. Look to Jesus. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Put him back on the throne of your heart. Deal with the root. Stop just looking at the fruit and go to the root. What? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Number two, when you stop praising God, you become someone you don't want to be. We become what we worship. When I stop praising God, I become someone I don't want to be. Lucifer went from being the angel, the worship leader in heaven, to becoming the devil. <laughs> I'm not saying you're going to become the devil. I'm just saying that you start losing your core identity when you start worshiping something or someone other than God. When we choose to praise God, we become who he created us to be. I want the band to come out. Number three, when Lucifer stopped praising the Lord, a third of the angels joined his posture. When I have an idol on my heart, an idol in the throne of my heart, any parents in the room, if you're a parent, can you raise your hand? Or guardian, if you're a guardian, if you, if you help raise some kids, okay? Our decisions don't just affect us. Our idols don't just impact us. 
When Lucifer lifted up himself, when he stopped worshiping God, there was a third of the angels that followed him. When me and Ashley come to church, our kids come with us. When our kids are in the room and they see me and Ashley lifting our hands, they lift their hands too. When we're at home and we say, hey, we're gonna pray before we eat, our kids are learning. They're watching our posture. They're watching what we worship. When we tolerate idol worship in the house, they think, well, mom and dad do it. We can do it too. But when we go, hey, listen, that was wrong. When we apologize, when we do what's right, there is a third, there's people who follow your idols. And if you'll put Jesus on the throne of your heart, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get a whole group of people that are going in the right direction. So when Paul called them out, he said, listen, repent and make him your king, this unknown God that you worship. In Cambodia in 1976, there was a evil ruler named Pol Pot, and he committed one of the worst genocides that happened in the world. For three and a half years, he killed two million people. 25% of Cambodia was killed during this time. And what he did is he would systematically send in killing squads that would line people up and anyone who was educated, anyone who could read or write or was religious, went to church, if they had a good job, he would line them up, they would dig a ditch, and one by one, they would shoot them in the head. This happened between 1976 and 1979. Pol Pot killed, they said, uh, they estimated two million people. They got to this one village, and this woman was about to get shot in the head. Right as the, the, the gun was pointed at her head, she shouted, oh God, God who died by execution, please save me. She didn't know this God's name. In her village, they had a lot of gods. They worshiped a lot of idols. They had a whole lot of, of images and, and wooden carvings that they would bow down to. But she had heard about this God somewhere down the line, that there was a God who died by execution. She thought it was so strange. All the gods she worshiped, none of them had ever died by execution. She thought this must be the one true God here in Cambodia. When she shouted, oh God, God who died by execution, please save me. The soldier pulled the gun back, true story. All the soldiers jumped in the truck and drove off. The entire village was saved because this woman called on the God who died by execution. They looked at the woman and they said, tell us about this God. She said, I don't know his name, but I heard there's a God who died by execution. That day, everyone in the village started exchanging their gods. They started laying their gods down at the altar in their village. They started laying down their trophies, their achievements, everything that they looked to as their identity. And they, they started praying to the God who dies by execution. 18 years later, in 1994, 1995, there was a missionary who came to this village in Cambodia, true story. He preached one simple message. He found two sticks and tied a rope between them and turned it into a cross. He lifted it up and he said, I'm here to tell you about the God who died by execution. His name is Jesus. The whole village fell to their knees and began crying and worshiping. He said, why are all of you guys crying and worshiping? They said, this one true God, we've been wanting to know his name for 20 years. He's the one who saved us from Pol Pot. He's the one who saved us from the genocide. That whole village gave their hearts to Jesus. 
Can I tell you there's a God who died by execution for you and for me? He's worthy of all your attention. He's worthy of all your devotion. He's worthy of all your worship. He's worthy of of sacrificing time. And I'm telling you, anything you give up, anything you say, you know what, we're gonna put God first, kids. I know that this is maybe not what you were thinking, but we're gonna put God first. We're gonna show up to church. We're gonna read our Bibles. We're gonna pray. We want you to have a personal relationship with God. Y'all, I used to live off the coattails of my mom and dad's relationship with Jesus. I used to live off of what Billy Joe and Sharon Darty had with Jesus. But the time came when I was 18 years old. I thought I was saved. I had given my heart to Jesus at Royal Rangers in 1991 when I was six years old, got baptized. But something happened in 2004 when I was 18. I was disappointed. I was heartbroken. I was depressed. I was discouraged. I was in my closet at, at my mom and dad's house, and I had my guitar, and I said, God, if you're real, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. Different than just what my parents have said, I want to know you personally in my heart. And I felt the love of Jesus just interrupt the disappointment in my heart and begin to flood me with his peace and his goodness and his compassion and his mercy. And there was a relationship that was cultivated. And God wants to have a personal relationship with you. God is not jealous like an insecure boyfriend who can't handle, you know, his girlfriend flirting with other guys. God is jealous because he knows there is nothing in your life that's going to satisfy you like him. And again, he's not against you having friends and loving your children and loving your spouse. There are certain things that he says that's not healthy for you. But there are certain things that are good. He's like, yeah, I want you to enjoy some chips and queso. I want you to enjoy your coffee. I want you to, I want you to pursue the dreams, the passions in your heart to reach people or to build a career, or build a business. Just remember where your hope is at. Just remember who gives you peace. This week is, is election week. We're voting, right? Get out and vote. You know, you know you let your voice be heard. But just remember, no matter who's in office, no matter who's elected, he still sits on the throne. He's still worthy of your devotion. No matter who's running the city or the state or the country, and that's not an excuse not to use your voice or not to pursue your dreams. That's just a reminder that I want Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart. It's a reminder. So real quickly, a few ways that we can dethrone every idol. Dethrone every idol. I want to end with this. Number one, how do I dethrone idols? I examine my heart. Examine. Paul said, examine your heart. Examine. Is there anything or anyone that's got you? Is there anything where it's like, man, if I don't have that, I'm depressed. If I don't have that, I'll never be good enough. Some of you, it's a spirit of defeat that this just got you. You are so defeated right now. God's trying to set you free from that idol of defeat because he wants you to walk in victory. And, and for some of us, it's depression. We've just been keeping it like a pet in our house. It's like, well, my depression's just, it's, it's, you know, it's got the best of me these days. It's time to evict depression from your house. Examine, is there anything that's got you? Number two, return to your first love. Jesus said in, in Revelation, I want my church Come back to my first love. Come back to your first love. Jesus is worthy of your attention, your adoration and worship. Number three, commit to carry your cross again. Some of us wear the cross on a necklace. We got a cross on a t-shirt. 
We like the idea of seeing a cross on a poster or on social media. But Jesus says, I want you to carry your cross. What does that mean? Jesus told his disciples, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and come after me. In other words, he says, I want you to stop living for what you want. And I I want you to start inviting me into the daily decisions of your life to really ask, what would Jesus want from me in this moment? What is Jesus asking of me to give up today? That I would deny myself. Number four, cast your cares, your burdens, your fears to God. What, what oftentimes what becomes where we invest a lot of our energy is where we have an idol. And, and some of us, we are investing so much worry over a situation, a person, a thing, uh, 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 something that we just think about all the time. It's just in our mind and, and we're afraid and it's a burden and it's a care and it's time today to dethrone worry off of your heart to say, God, I let go of controlling that and I trust you. I'm casting my cares. Some of us, we gotta do it seven times a day. Number five, redefine success. Redefine what success and fulfillment looks like. Success is not about having a certain salary. Success is not about uh, living in a specific house or driving a certain car or having a certain title at your job. Success and fulfillment is in Jesus. In him we live and move and have our being. Success is obedience to God. Success is surrender to God. And number six, final point here, come back to the heart of worship. Come back to the heart of worship, that your life, everything you do is for the glory of God. It's for his glory. Would you stand your feet all over this place? Lord, I just pray that today you would be elevated, lifted high, that you would sit down on the throne in our hearts. Would you just close your eyes all over this place? We're gonna take the last five minutes right here, right now, just to worship. And if you're here right now and you just say, man, there's some things I need to lay at that altar, whether it's worry, sin, fear, hurt, bitterness, something that's just been elevated. It's been robbing you of peace. It's been trying to dethrone Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy off your heart. Maybe it's a a friendship. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's a, a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is, just bring it to the altar. Just leave your seat. People are coming down right now. Brave men, brave women, boys, girls, college students, teenagers, ministers, pastors, staff members, whatever it is that you would just bring it to the altar. For some, it's money. It's materials. It's clothes. It's it's certain things. And, and God's saying, I want you to stop worrying so much about that. I want you to stop worshiping that, that today. You're saying, God, take over. Lord, be Lord of all in my heart. Come on, the altar is open. It's time to dethrone some idols today. We're just gonna worship right here, right now. And if you feel like you need to leave your seat and come down to this altar to say, God, I I give it to you. Lord, I give you my heart, my life. Lamar, would you lead us in that worship song? I surrender.
Lord be Lord of all. Let's just pray this together. Say, Jesus, I repent of any idol that I have put on the throne in my heart. I want you to be Lord of all in every area. Be lifted high. Your will, your way, your love. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for loving me. You are Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.